Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Just like a little yipping dog, a little bit smaller than a big groundhog. They run real wild and they smile all the time. Welcome back for episode 11 of the Believe in Padres Prospects podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. San Diego's number one sports podcast network. What do you got for number 11 today? Anybody you like wear number 11? I, th- I can't think of a single person that wore number 11. You remember Edgar Martinez? Well, obviously. Number 11? Is he overrated though? No. You remember those? how sweet that Mariners team was? I remember when he didn't play defense ever. Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball, one of the best video games of all time. Team was nasty. Nintendo 64. I'm a Jay Buhner guy. Just all their circles were bigger than the rectangles. You could oh. hit with everybody. Was that the <laughs> You have a better memory of that than I do. That was the best game. If you had that, I think we should we should look into that. Maybe you need to find that on eBay. I think that's worth a look. Yeah. Um, that and Backyard Baseball. But Great game. Um, I very, think Edgar Martinez was on that game in the MLB He probably version. was. And my guy Ichiro, a little later Mariner, but... On today's show, we're going to do uh, a little bit of Arizona Fall League news. Rosters have been announced. There's 20 MLB Pipeline guys, uh, top 100, that are on the rosters. There's only six AFL teams. So if you follow the AFL at all, um, you know that the the major league teams all share uh, squads out in Arizona, and they all play it. I think they're only going to be playing at two locations this year. Um, no top 100 Pottery guys are going. So... Was that a little surprising to you? Because I thought that was strange. I thought it was, yeah, very strange. I mean, I don't think they've put out a new list uh, of top 100 guys end of season. Or maybe they – I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen one yet. But Luis Camposano has to be on that list in the offseason. I know they do an offseason list to kind of hunt for clicks, which is – we're going to do the same thing because everyone does that. Um, but Camposano is going to be in the top 100 for sure. Yeah. And he is one of the Padres represented – along with some other people that um, are not as exciting, but lots of top 100 talent in the AFL. And the AFL is notorious for hosting a lot of the best players, maybe not pitchers because guys end of season, you you know, you've reached your innings limit as a minor league pitcher and teams don't want to send their best pitchers. But if you're rehabbing, we're going to see some guys. So like Forrest Whitley is going to be there. Um, I'm anticipating some other guys who didn't pitch a lot this season that are going to be on the teams. No Taylor Trammell, too. I kind of was hoping Taylor would go. He went last year. So Taylor Trammell played on the Reds last year, obviously, and represented... Scottsdale Scorpions. Yeah, you're a Scottsdale guy. That's a great name. Scottsdale's a great city. They were 14 and 15 last year. So he was on the team and played okay. Had a 298 batting average, 359 on base. On base is kind of what he's known for, and hit tool is something he's working on, which is, it's not bad, but it's, it's closer to average probably. And he's, he's known for having a good eye at the plate and having some potential for power and speed and a good defender without the arm, but had a good season last year, hit a couple home runs. Nope. Did not have a couple of runs. Didn't have a home run. Um, you know who led the league in home runs last year? Had six stolen bases chipped in. Oh, in the AFL. Yeah. Don't say it to me. 
You know who it, it is. It's Pete Alonso. Yeah. He's going to hit 50 this year. It's Luckily, the Mets are yeah. out. Hey, Mets, enjoy uh, also not making the playoffs. I hope you had a good run. Um, the worst draft pick. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, enjoy the rookie of the year because it was pretty obvious, I think, that Tatis was going to win rookie of the year, and now he just gifted it to you by getting hurt. So I hope that feels good, knowing that you deserve second. My boy Tramel last week, though, you see that? Padres minor league organizational player of the week. That's big for him, considering how slow he started. Great end of the season. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be hot at any point during the season as a minor leaguer, I'm really happy that it's the end of the season. Instead Just of, in time for playoffs. Well, and the guys that start off hot and wear out at the end, it shows to me like you're just not ready for the competition and you got worn out and you can't handle a full season. But if you're getting better as the year goes, and especially when you're changing teams, that's just, he's more comfortable. He's playing better. He's going to have some confidence going into the off season instead of shitting the bed going into the off season. Right. It's just much better mental state to be in when you're uh, performing well. Midseason call up next year. That's a little too soon. Too soon. Okay. I'll settle down. Um, so let's start with, uh, that was that's what's coming up on today's show. Did we already cover it? No. Um, let's get to the news. So playoff updates for our minor league squads. The Chihuahuas didn't make it; they fell short, which is sad. But rough after how many dingers they hit this year. Yeah, they just all they did was hit more home runs than any other human team in history has ever hit. Why human team? Just, uh, there could be aliens playing baseball, some form of baseball. Star Wars. I mean, they're humans out there. You lost me. Okay. So they fell three games short to the Las Vegas Aviators, which is the Oakland A's affiliate. So no Chihuahuas in the playoffs this year. But we do have the Lake Elsinore Storm who made the playoffs, and they're going to be in a best of five series with division winner Rancho Cucamonga, who is a Dodgers affiliate. Hollywood of the East. That's what they say. Workaholics. Winner of that series, like I said, best of five. Winner of that series is going to play the winner of Visalia and San Jose. Visalia is a D-backs affiliate. San Jose is a Giants affiliate. So, What do you think of the best of five where it's the team with the worst record plays the first two games at home and then the first place team gets the remaining three if they need it at home? It's interesting because you would think you'd want – well, you want to close out at home. So having, the th- having three out of the five, okay, that's – obvious you should get right but then do you would you rather have the first games or the last games because you you want to have the games that are going to decide the series at your place wouldn't you more so than the first game although having the momentum you think so because going up 2-0 if you're at home if you, you just need to take one on the road yeah but at the same time getting that early momentum in the series is really nice too what if they drop game one then all of a sudden they're almost in must win because you don't want to go down two games to zero right that would that would be rough, but um, if I had to pick, I would probably say the the final three games, just because you want to be able to close out at home. I'd agree. Um, so yeah, that's how they do that in the minor leagues. Game one is tonight. We're recording this on was it Wednesday? Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. We had a it was a busy Labor Day weekend. We didn't get a chance to record. So doing this during the week, Garrett Richards is going to be pitching. Which interesting is call. Very interesting, considering uh, minor league high A playoffs, and you're getting a wily veteran in there who's rehabbing, admittedly, but still, it's kind of an odd mix to see. He was on the team. All I'm going to guess he only goes two or three innings, if that even. Yeah, maybe just a starter. 
opener. Throw him off, an opener? Yeah. yeah. A starting pitcher really, <laughs> would really throw him off. You knew where I was going. Debatable. And then Texas League, we've got our sod poodles. Soddies. Soddies. We're, I think we're going to try to make poodles happening, but I think Soddies is too entrenched. I don't think we're going to get poodles off the ground. Yvonne Castillo had a really nice year. He's a guy we talked about last week. He led the league with a 313 average. Uh, the Sod Poodles had four players hit 280. It's all courtesy of MILB.com. And four players with 15 home runs. Castillo, first year in the Padres system, he was really good. He bounced around a little bit before coming to the Padres. But he's been a dude this year. Edward Olivares had a really good year, breakout year. Um, his first as a Padre. Owen Miller had a really nice year. He's kind of become a guy. He was a third-round pick a couple years ago. And I kind of like Owen Miller. Arizona Fall League representative, too, for the Peoria Javelinas. You think he could come up and play second next year, starting second baseman? I didn't realize we were going to be so desperate for a second baseman, but hell, yeah. He you could. and your Urias Island. Urias uh, is on his own island in the dugout. I might still be the last guy on Urias Island, but um, I'm open to France. I'm open to Miller. Whoever France can, had a nice little week last can week. Can somebody just run away with a second base job? That's one of the few holes left on the team. Maybe Owen Miller. Could be Owen Miller. Why not? Why not him? Why not us? And we're going to be interviewing Ben Miller. Uh, who's a MILB.com contributor. He has a blog out there. He's on a podcast too. Um, we're going to talk about him. He was out at Hodgetown, which is where the Sod Poodles play. Such a great name for the Sod Poodles Stadium. Hodgetown? Yeah. New new facility. It's supposed to be really nice. He said he loved the park and the people are really passionate too. So we're going to talk to him about the place. Our Poodles are playing the Midland Rockhounds, which is another Oakland A's affiliate. And two of the league's best starting pitchers are going to be going. That's not right. What? It's not? Luke Bocker's going tonight. Are you sure? Where did I yeah. get? I got that from somewhere. I don't know. Right, what do you got then? My boy, you remember I brought him up a couple weeks ago, kind of no name, but having a great year. Starting for the poodle for our Saudis tonight. <laughs> yeah. S- starting for our Saudis tonight, Lake Bocker. And do you know who the uh, Rockhounds are throwing? I am not sure. Okay. Well, you know, I only look up the Padres. Yeah, no one cares. Our guy, Luke Bacher, is going to be on the mound. Lake Bacher. God damn. Lake Bacher. And he's had a really good year. We've, we've covered him before. He was on the uh, Texas League postseason all-star team, um, along with a few other sod poodles, uh, Luis Torrens, Ivan Castillo, and Edward Olivares. And our boy, or my boy, Taylor Trammell, hitting leadoff tonight. Hitting lead- they trust him to hit leadoff. I mean, his batting average is what, like sub 200 is on the poodles so far this Only year? Only as good as your last week, Ryan. That's true. And he's hot, so... Let it, let it ride, I guess. Game one, 5 p.m. tonight. We're recording this a little earlier, so you guys will be following on Twitter how the game goes. Hopefully, uh, and by tomorrow, we'll have some good news, and then next week we'll talk about how the series went. Both teams will be 1-0. Okay. Storm. You mean the Storm and the Poodles? Yes. Okay. Our boys. And as we mentioned, the Chihuahuas are not going to be playing, but that's too bad. Uh, what do you think you're looking forward to most from the – postseason is it maybe a little Mackenzie Gore pitching for the poodles a little extra Taylor Trammell seeing some guys that we didn't expect to be good who are good what's the deal what do you like I want to see if Taylor Trammell can keep it up I mean he's like really Gore, we already know we know that Gore's, Gore's gonna be out there he's gonna pitch a couple innings and he's gonna be awesome but I mean, move along Let's right see. and then game two for the sod poodles Jacob Nix is gonna start Interested to see how he does because he could be a potential starter, like we've mentioned. He before. was a little up and down with with uh, in his rehab with Lake Elsinore, and yeah, the back end of the rotation for the Padres is kind of wide open. So 
why not? Like we just saw Cal Quantrill go from having a crappy year to being one of the best pitchers on the team when he got hot in the middle of the season to then getting shelled to getting shelled again. So it's, it's wide open. If Jacob Nix decides he wants to be good again, then doors will open. Like no one has solidified themselves in that rotation. I would even say Lucchese and Lauer weren't very impressive this year. They had moments, but I feel like Lucchese was very impressive this year. He was okay, but he does, he's not pitching to deep enough into games for me yet. And maybe that's Andy Green's fault or it's Lucchese's fault for throwing too many pitches early in games. But I'd say no one's really safe. Lauer safe. If he's playing the Dodgers only against the Dodgers, <laughs> he's been great against the Dodgers. So Luis Patino, by the way, shut down for the rest of the year due to a blister issue. You hate to, I hate hearing the word blister because to me that's a, a recurring injury. That's like kind of chronic. But Gore had one last year and he was fine this year at least. And But with blister, I just think Josh Beckett and then Josh Beckett was hurt every single year with a blister. It's like turf toe for NFL player. Athlete's foot for us. Athletes. Oh, yeah. Have you ever had athlete's foot? No, but my uh, great uncle, it runs in the family. Really? Terrible. That was a terrible joke. What's that what you mean? I, I think I got it once in high school, and it wasn't really severe. And I just kind of ignored it and it went away. Got some tough acting and acting. John Madden. Yeah, never forget. The GOAT. Ronald Bolaños debuted on Tuesday. Did you catch any of his game? I unfortunately missed it. I mean, he's not. I saw his stats. Oh, yeah. He started off rough, rough little first inning, but then after that came back, didn't have a nice help. little game. Didn't have help from the defense, but he was kind of the umpires. No, or the umpires, but he, he kind of settled down and had a nice little game signed during the famous 2016 international free agent class for $2 million. And this class is well known for being the class that broke the bank. Preller spent over $80 million in player signing bonuses plus taxes because he went over the slot value on everyone. Michel Baez, Adrian Morihon, Luis Patino, Tucupita, Marcano are all from that class. And that class has turned out very well. And according to MLB Pipeline, Bolaños was the 15th best prospect in the system. I have him unranked right now, but I'm going to do another list in the offseason, and he could potentially move up. It's going to be interesting to see if he gets one or two more starts up at the major league level, or if it was just a one-time thing, kind of done for the year. He stretched out, and he was last appearance was in uh, AA. He... Didn't really have the greatest season at double A, but he's been playing as a starter all season. And if the Padres want to try someone out in the rotation, then he's definitely a candidate. He's going to turn 23 in about 10 days. Um, or did I have that backwards? He turned 23 already. Yeah, I had it backwards. He just turned 23 12 days ago. Uh, he was last appearance in double A. He was eight and five with a 423 ERA. 10.33 strikeouts per nine, 3.52 walks per nine. So I always keep an eye on those stats. Had a good season at double A though. He was five and two with a 285 ERA in 10 games. So he's at about, you know, looks like 130, 136 innings so far for the season. You see him more as a reliever though, don't you? Yeah, I definitely do because he, I mean, it looks right, like right now that he's got three pitches that he can throw that are anywhere from average to slightly above average. He pumps it up to about 98, sits more in the 92, 95 range. He makes his speeds on the fastball. That was something they talked about during the broadcast a lot. He throws his fastball from anywhere from like 90 to 98, which I kind of like. It keeps the hitters on edge. And I kind of see a, a strong like sixth inning, seventh inning bullpen guy. Because right now, the guys that we see in the bullpen, Michelle Baez, Andres Munoz, Trey Winginter, 
Perdomo, Yates, and there's a whole bunch of other guys that are also candidates. But other than Munoz and Yates this year, and I, I personally like Baez, but nobody else really had a great season. So why can't Bolaños find a place for him in that bullpen next year? He'll be 23 years old. That's that's in line with where the rest of the guys Prime are. Prime time to come up as a bullpen pitcher. Yeah, youth movement, you know? And it's definitely not uncommon for the Padres or other teams to start off younger guys in the bullpen. And then as they progress and stretch out and the Padres like what they see from him, then you move him in the rotation potentially. Or if there's an injury or something, that happens a lot too. I remember famous, the Cardinals used to do this with all their guys. They, they started it with Adam Wainwright, um, start him in the, in the bullpen, closer role, and then transition him to the rotation. And a lot of other guys do that too. And it worked out well for them. Worked out really well. It didn't work out so well with the other guys they tried it with, specifically. That's uh, right there, man. Had, oh, Trevor Rosenthal. Didn't work out too well with him. Uh, big story of the day or this week was AFL rosters were announced. And. If you follow the AFL, we mentioned this. There's six teams, and they play about a the month fleet, and a half. Right? Yeah, that's right. The fleet, San Diego fleet. Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, the Padres are going to be fleet, fleet. going to be on the <laughs> Peoria Javelinas roster. So that's such a great mascot, the Javelina. I think it's probably the best mascot in the in the league. Those things will mess you up. If you don't know what Javelina is, it's just like a wild, scary pig that lives in uh, Arizona, the desert, and. Yeah, they will charge you, run you down. They so. hunt in groups too, <laughs> packs. A pack of yeah, a pack of pigs, or is it a herd? If they're aggressive, though, I can I associate with herds with like docile, grass eating creatures. Yeah, I'm not sure the. Yeah, if you're like a predator hunter, like that, that would be a pack, wouldn't it? I know it. In Tucson at U of A, they warn all the students <laughs> to watch out for the roaming javelinas around campus. So on the Javelinas this year, they're sharing, they're going to be playing at Peoria Complex, which is where the Padres and the Mariners play. So both those teams are going to be making up the Javelinas along with the Pirates, the Astros, and the Red Sox are all going to be sending players to fill out a team of Javelinas. And there's a few good players in there. Forrest Whitley, who was suspended earlier this season, is going to be making up some innings uh, for the Astros. And like I said before, this is typically not a league where you see a lot of the top pitching prospects go. So he's going to be a huge advantage to the Javelinas. O'Neill Cruz for the Pirates. He's a 6'6 shortstop who is a top 100 guy uh, pretty much everywhere. He's a stud. Jared Kalenic on the Mariners, who they got from the New York Mets. 6'6 six, six shortstop. Yeah, Duke can hit. He can run. He's got everything. And then the Padres are sending uh, some other – Luis Camposano, who we both really like, Owen Miller, and Edward Olivares, who we've talked about, had a good season. Again, I'm most <clears throat> interested to see Owen Miller. See if he can compete for that second base role next year. Arizona Fall is going to be really fun. I'd, I'd love to get out there for a few games. All the games are going to be close by. It's kind of like spring training atmosphere where all the ballparks are really close. Joe Adele is going to be out there. He's the number four overall prospect on MLB Pipeline. Alex Karoloff, Forrest Whitley, who I mentioned. Joey Bart. Um, Nolan Jones for the, the Indians. There's a ton. It's just, there's 20 guys. Seth Beer, who we, I really like. He's on the, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Great name. Hall, already a Hall of Fame name, probably. And if he can hit, he's going to be an instant Fan crowd favorite. Yeah, instant crowd favorite. It, probably already is in the minor leagues with the Dollar Beer Nights. Seth, it's just Seth Beer Nights. Yeah. <laughs> Seth, <laughs> Seth Dollar Beer Nights. Anytime he gets a hit for an inning, you have Dollar Beer. He's got some of the most power of any player in the minors. So, Unfortunately, he's on the Diamondbacks, and we might be seeing him as soon as next year, and that could be an issue. But 
Other than that, uh, another guy to look out for on the Mariners, in addition to Jared Kalenic, is Julio Rodriguez, who has flown up prospect radars in the last couple seasons. He's a guy from the Dominican. Um, power, speed, can uh, play heavily right field. He's got the arm for right field. He's going to be a really fun guy to watch. So um, the league is known for pumping out some of the best players in baseball. So like Glaber Torres has been in it. Mookie Betts is in it. Trout's been there. Yelich has been there. This is the stop. Pete Alonzo. All the guys go here on their way to the majors. So that's kind of what I was surprised Taylor Chamel didn't go. I know he played last year. But Do many guys go two years in a row, though? I feel like that's pretty rare. It it does happen, but I think um, there may be an official limit. I don't think you can go more than two times. And I definitely don't think um, – it, well, it, it makes sense that you wouldn't want the same guys there every year. And there used to be a limit – we'll get into this in a second – but there used to be uh, a rule where only players above the low minors could go. And now teams are allowed to just send whoever they want, whoever they think um, – Needs, needs extra work. Needs the work and that they want to see against other top competition. So maybe you're a guy that's been playing low A all year, high A all year. So Campusano wouldn't have been allowed to go last year. But I think it makes a lot more sense that just send anyone you want. It's, that's much better. It's it's up to the teams. Why is base, why is Major League Baseball dictating who they can send? Right. And in the Futures game, there isn't a rule like that. So we've seen 19-year-olds go to the Futures game like Eloy Jimenez a couple of years ago for the um, when he was on the Cubs. Now he's on the White Sox having a really good year. But it – there was no rule like that for the Futures game. And I liked seeing those guys all play against each other. Luis Patino in the Futures game was one of the best pitchers there, and he was only 19 years old. So why does why do these age limits matter? But anyway, watch the AFL this year. It's going to be really fun. Um, and if you are you know Southern California resident, which I hope you are because who else would listen to this show, or you live in Arizona, um, try to get out there and watch the Hoffalinas because that team is going to be loaded AFL rule changes this year. So there were some things that we were going to get into. We talked about how the age limit has been uh, reduced or the rule was reduced. The rule doesn't exist anymore. So you can send whoever you want. And now the season is actually going to start earlier, which in Arizona is not necessarily the best thing if you're trying to watch a baseball game. So hot. Because it is prime heat Arizona weather right now. And the Arizona Fall League, or um, I'm sorry, the Arizona League, which is the uh, the rookie ball, basically, for all the major league teams that have teams out in the Arizona League. So the Potters do. Um, they play all of their games at night because you have to. You couldn't play during the day. It's too hot. Can't go outside during the day there. No. That's why they're all in Southern California for the whole summer. And spoiler alert, it's still pretty hot at night even. But the season used to start kind of mid-October, and now it's going to be starting September 18th, which is only one day after the AAA championship game concludes, and the season will run through October 26th. I like that a lot better. It's way better. So previously, in every previous year, the, the league used to wait a month, kind of kind of for no reason, I guess. Like, why are we waiting? Just throws off pitchers. I think the they most. wanted to, like, it's probably a weather thing. They wanted to wait until the weather got tolerable. They could get day games and night games and... And the schedule will be easier to do. But it really screwed up the players, especially pitchers, who if you're going to send any pitchers, your season ends and then you just have to wait a month and hopefully throw on the side or whenever you're working out by yourself. Right. It didn't make, it, it didn't make any sense. You, you can't disrupt a pitcher's routine like that and expect anyone to be any good. That's how more injuries happen. And it's probably a contributing factor why teams weren't sending their best pitchers because it screws up their whole schedule. Now it ends... The, the AAA championship game ends 
players can get there the next day and then your season starts and it's a short season anyway. So why not? The games will be all at night for the first few weeks, which who cares? Mandatory. It's, it's fine. And then as this, as we get into late October, they'll start going back to day games. So it's really only an inconvenience uh, scheduling wise for the first few weeks. Better for the players at the end of the season too, because then they get three whole months off yeah. where they were going deeper in and only getting a month or two off after that. So yeah, their season would end. They would get three weeks to kind of sit around. They can't really do anything other than try to stay in shape for the fall league. And then they would play the fall league for a month and a half. And then now all of a sudden you're two months away from spring training. Like you don't have any, there's no off season for you. You need that break. Now their season ends October 26th and they'll have a nice three months off. Assuming they don't do winter ball somewhere, but even if they do, now they have a more defined off season at least, and it's basically just an all around good move by MLB. Now let's move on to our interview with MILB writer, blogger, podcaster Benjamin Hill. He did a piece earlier in the season about his trip out to Hodgetown to see the Sod Poodles, and we just kind of talk about his meanderings across the country. He's seen every minor league park. He's a really interesting guy. So let's do it. Here's Benjamin Hill. So we're joined now by Ben Hill. He covers the business and culture of minor league baseball. He's a contributor for MILB.com. You can find all of his content at MILB.com slash fans slash Ben's biz, or just follow him on Twitter at Ben's biz with a Z. And he, you're also a weekly guest on the show before the show, which is a podcast on MLB.com, MILB.com, right? Yep, correct. Uh, regular contributor, regular uh, guest on show before the show podcast and been writing for MILB.com uh, in a full-time capacity for a decade now, somehow. Awesome. Well, well, thanks so much for taking some time this afternoon. Or you're in New York, right? So it's, it's evening there? Yeah, we'll call it the evening. I mean, in my okay. world. Uh, you've been on the road a lot. Did you just get back? I got back from my last trip last uh, over the weekend, yeah. Uh, I always lose track of the days during the baseball season, but uh, yeah, it's Wednesday now, and on Saturday I got back from my last trip. I just hit up uh, Potomac, uh, the Potomac Nationals to see their last game at the Fitz, Fitzner Stadium. Uh, so I spent a couple nights there, and then I went to Hagerstown, uh, Hagerstown Municipal Stadium, home of the Suns um, in Maryland. Hadn't been there for about eight years, so nice. I figured I was overdue. I was wondering, uh, um, growing up, um, I didn't look up to where you were from, but did you have any Major League Baseball allegiances or minor league teams that you really fell in love with because they were nearby? I mean, it was for me, I grew up in suburban Philadelphia, Ambler, Pennsylvania, about uh, 15, 20 miles north of the city. And I was a, just a gigantic Phillies fan for as long as I can remember. Um, pretty much as soon as my memories began, I was a Phillies fan. It just did not take much for me to become fascinated with baseball. You know, first baseball hero was Mike Schmidt. Um, you know, was just a fanatical collector of tops cards there, there in the, you know, uh, late eighties into the early nineties. Um, minor league baseball, I was certainly aware of it, but it's not something I really grew up, uh, experiencing firsthand very often at all. Um, the first minor league game I went to, uh, was in 1989, uh, the Scranton Wilkesbury. They were then the Red Barons. Uh, my grandparents had a house in the Poconos at the time, and uh, you know it was very close, uh, pretty close to Scranton Wilkesbury, and uh, that was very exciting because they were a Phillies Triple A team at the time, and you know I was a huge Phillies fan. But no, most of my fandom growing up was uh, major league oriented, and specifically the Phillies. 
I feel like I'm kind of the same. I'm from San Diego, born and raised, and I've always been a pottery fan, but didn't really get into minor league stuff kind of until I got a little older, maybe uh, post-college. I started doing some fantasy stuff and like prospects went really deep. And I was like, oh, this is interesting because these are new guys I haven't heard of before. It was something fresh. And go, the experience, I think, at minor league ballparks really sold it for me, getting out there. Yeah, it's a whole world. I, I was always vaguely interested in the minors, but it just wasn't something that I – it was just something I experienced incidentally pretty much all the way until I started writing for MILB.com. You know, it was just uh, seeing incidentally the games in scranton Wilkesbury. Went to maybe a game or two in Reading. Uh, was hanging out with a friend in Florida because his parents had a home uh, – home there during the summer and went to a Clearwater Phillies game. Uh, but it was all very incidental and, you know, I could go years without seeing a minor league game. So yeah, it's not something I really uh, knew too well. So how did you get involved doing this blog for minor league or MILB.com? It looks amazing. You get to travel around a lot. You meet a whole bunch of people, see a bunch of baseball games. How did that get started? Well, it's not something I was hired to do. I mean, what I do now is not what I was hired to do. Um, it goes all the way back to 2005, which was the first year of MILB.com, uh, which was then called MinorLeagueBaseball.com. Now we've shortened it up. Um, but 2005 was the first year of the site. You know, there'd never been a site that was trying to encompass all of minor league baseball before. Uh, it was run then as it is now by Major League Baseball. Uh, essentially, you know, in the online sphere, minor league baseball is a client of Major League Baseball. Uh, so that site started in 2005, and uh, it was just through a friend of mine. I was temping at the time in between jobs, just saying yes to anything that came my way. And a friend of mine just called me one night in, during the 2005 season, and he's like, look, I'm writing game recaps for this minor league baseball website, and they need more people. Because at that time, we we did a recap of every single minor league game on the site. We don't do that anymore. But uh, at the time, they needed more people just to write these game recaps. And he was like, sounds like something you'd be good at. And I was like, yeah, why not? I'd never had a writing job before in my life, never been paid to write anything, had nothing on my resume that was really relevant experience. But the site was new and they didn't really have uh, too much of a, you know, ingrained hiring system in place. Everyone was kind of figuring it out as they went because there had never been a minor league baseball website. So through my friend's recommendation, I just got a part-time night shift hourly job writing game recaps. And uh, I just thought of it at the time as just some random thing I do for a couple months. But I kept hanging around during the offseason, started coming in during the day. I uh, was asked to write a promo column the next season in 2006. And uh, that really changed everything because I started writing about minor league promos and was making jokes and just you know, kind of having a good time with a, a different form of writing that wasn't really so much sports writing as it was just kind of writing about American culture through this lens of minor league baseball promotions. Uh, so that column became a big thing for me. People in the industry started reading it. Uh, there had never been anything at that time that existed along those lines where, um, you know, minor league baseball promotions were being covered in real time. Uh, and then that just became my niche. And I started the blog, Ben's Biz Blog, in 2007, you know, just to supplement my work with MILB.com. But they've always been kind of one in the same, all part of the same uh, pieces in the same puzzle. And uh, it took me a number of years, but got full time uh, in 2009 and 2010. I thought, you know, I really started to make the case for myself that I need to travel in order to see these places I was writing about in order to truly be an expert in this world. And just started traveling starting in 2010 and uh, just incrementally through the years, um, you know, finally made it to every single minor league ballpark. And uh, I've been to 177 so far in a professional context. 
Well, it sounds amazing. It's taken off clearly, and um, you've you've gained a lot of steam uh, personally with your following. And I I caught a hold of you uh, because of a piece you did about a month ago about Amarillo. I mean, our podcast is is fairly new, um, but you did a piece uh, on life in Amarillo before the Solid Poodles, which I admittedly didn't know much about. And minor league baseball kind of does this thing where teams move around a lot, and one town can have a bunch of teams come and go and uh, different affiliates from different ball clubs and reading some of the memories from people who have been there the whole time. A lot of these stories sound like they're part of the script of Bull Durham that had to be cut. They're hilarious. So did you have a personal favorite story from your time out there? Um, well, I found Amarillo. There was, you know, at the end of last season, I finally hit the, what for me was a big milestone of having been to every active affiliated park. Um, so that I, I did that by the end of last year. And then, so going into this year, uh, obviously, I want to keep that up and make sure, you know, I, I by the end of the season, I could say I've been to every minor league park. So there were three new parks this year, Fayetteville, Amarillo and uh, Las Vegas. And I really enjoyed Amarillo. I don't want to say the most, but maybe it was the most Ooh, uh, of like the three new okay. ones. Um, I, I certainly enjoyed it. You know, they hadn't had minor league baseball since 1982. I spent three nights out there. Uh, you know, in this beautiful new ballpark. I mean, the thing that struck me most about Amarillo was just how, and this was true in Fayetteville too, but in Amarillo, the fans just seemed head over heels with the sod poodles and having the ballpark and what the ballpark meant for their city. And there was just such a sense of enthusiasm and pride, and it was just easy to get get real swept up in the whole thing. So I did a whole bunch a whole bunch of articles in Amarillo. Uh, you know, wrote a story about uh, the guy Carson Leverett, who wrote the Th- Sod Poodles anthem, uh, a, a truly excellent uh, theme song for the Sod Poodles. I did a story about Ed Montana, this uh, country western crooner who serves as the team's PA announcer. You know, real personality. Uh, obviously, did some ballpark tour stuff. And uh, yeah, when I was there, I drove. You know, it's only about two miles away, but it feels like it's 200 miles away uh, to the old ballpark uh, that previously hosted the Amarillo Gold Sox. And um, and that's where that story came about is talking to a former front office staffer from the Gold Sox. And he was kind of telling his stories. And uh, I mean, I just think those stories are specific to Amarillo, but that's minor league baseball. It was a very different beast in the 70s and 80s than it it was today. And it was just kind of fun to compare and contrast this uh, 2019 reality at this new ballpark, Hodgetown, uh, with what had existed, you know, 35, 40 years earlier with the Gold Sox. For sure. And we're going to try to, we'll promote that piece again, because it's a really interesting read. Um, do you think this name Sod Poodles is starting to grow on some people? Was there a lot of pushback? Do you have any feel for that when uh, the name first came out? Because personally, I the more ridiculous of the minor league baseball names are, the better for me. And I feel like teams are trying to add to each other now every year. Trash pandas have come out and it's become kind of the identity of minor league baseball where the game's more geared towards fun and goofiness and fan experience than so much like the game is really serious. Although the, the, the product on the field for the sod pools this year has been really good. And I mean, as a Padres affiliate, they're loaded with talent and they added Taylor Trammell late in the season. So they've gotten to watch a good product on the field, but do you, do you think sod poodles has grown on the community at all? Oh, there's no doubt about that. Um, that it, it grew tremendously on the community from the time it was first announced to, you know, where we are now and yeah. where we were in June when I visited and even where they were on opening day. I think by the time the ballpark opened, people were 100% on board with the Sod Poodles. Um, it's a minor league baseball formula at this point. And so for a, you know, 
top-down, industry-wide observers such as myself, it's easy to get a little cynical because you see the same thing play out. You see the name announced and you see the local community outraged and this is embarrassing and I can't believe you <laughs> chose this name and fire your marketing director and all this stuff and it always goes through like that and you know so but then you know th there's a formula for this now one you know in minor league baseball you know getting publicity is the name of the game so it's better to have people talking about your ridiculous name than just sort of shrugging at something that's more conservative and safe you know they could have brought the gold Sox name back and Amarillo you know, the Amarillo fans would have been like, well, that's great. That sounds like a great name. But it wouldn't have made a splash. It wouldn't have sold a ton of merchandise. It mm -hmm. wouldn't have been talked about all over the community relentlessly the way the sod poodles were. And then you see the branding and you're like, oh, I kind of like the way this looks. And then you see the ballpark and you're like, oh, there's this whole kind of theme around this identity. And then by the time, you know, people actually experience what the entire, you know, ballpark atmosphere is and how that ties to the team name they're 100 percent on board you know i mentioned i wrote a story about edmont um ed montana the team's pa announcer i kind of used him as a stand-in for a kind of typical uh, old-fashioned conservative amarillo resident and i used his experience of someone who was like you know what in the hell is a sob poodle you know and, and <laughs> totally totally negative about it to being the team's pa announcer and just head over heels with them with the Saudis, you know, they love the Saudis. Um, it's just a process we see play out again and again. You know, we've seen it play out, uh, you, you know, you name it. Pick a, pick a team that's debuted in the last decade and we've seen that process play out. And it just kept, keeps getting more and more ridiculous through the years. I mean, it wasn't that long ago the El Paso Chihuahuas came out. And at the time, that was, what, 2014, and it was like, I can't believe they actually named a team called uh, the, the Chihuahuas. And we saw that whole... That whole process play out. And now five years later, Chihuahua seems not conservative, but just kind of, oh, yeah, of course, Chihuahuas. And it just gets more and more <laughs> ridiculous. You know, this year we have the Sod Poodles, like you said. Next year we have the Trash Pandas. It can only go so far. I think we might be hitting, you know, getting towards <laughs> the end in terms of how much further it can be pushed. But um, there's no doubt that this is a successful formula that has played out, you know, with great results all over the country. And these teams, despite the initial outcry by the local fan base, almost always know what they're doing and almost always have, you know, the last laugh, so to speak, in terms of uh, how it's received in the community ultimately. And we've certainly seen that in Amarillo. Yeah, you're right. The, the teams have definitely figured out the formula and it's to make a big splash marketing wise. And then the fan base will will eventually come around. And usually it doesn't take that long to come around. So it's only a matter of time before we see a, a footy McFooderson or a throwy McThrowerson baseball team out there. If we get a fan vote, that that seems to be the go-to these days. Um, you've been, So you've been on a lot of trips this year. Uh, what do you think has been your favorite trips this so far this year and why? Um, I'm sure one place has to stand out to you, right? Well, you know, I, I, that's the whole nature of my job is I, I, you know, I try to just highlight what makes each community unique. So I always feel like there's something memorable about every place. And that's what I like is that minor league baseball gives me the context to go to all these places that I normally otherwise wouldn't go to. And that's a, something I try to tell to other people is, you know, if you like baseball and you have the ability to, to take a trip, you know, uses an opportunity to go to these places that you'd never go. So there's highlights everywhere. I mean, Amarillo is way up there as, as probably my favorite place I went this year. Um, it's a great new ballpark, but as someone who sees a lot of ballparks, there weren't too many elements of the ballpark itself that were like, oh my God, I've never seen this before. 
but again, um, the atmosphere and the fan enthusiasm was, I think, what made that really stand out. And I'd say that was probably, you know, the the my favorite place that I went this year. I, I cut my travel down a little bit this year, uh, not so much in the amount of time on the road, but in terms of the number of places. Um, you know, now that I've been everywhere, I'm trying to settle into the places and spend two or three nights instead of just doing seven teams in seven days or 10 teams in 10 days. I used to be a lot more manic about just getting in as many as I could just because there's so many teams out there. But I'd say in 2019, Amarillo was a a very distinct highlight uh, for sure. Uh, I'd probably put it up there number one. But Fayetteville was great. Las Vegas had its own energy uh, in terms of the new ballparks. It was great seeing Lynchburg and what they've done to that place, an older ballpark, but kind of revitalized. Always enjoy going to Richmond. Uh, They've got a great promotional energy and a lot of people I like out there. So, you know, I could go on and on. Well, love hearing about that. So please do. I'd well, I'd like to know. Do you have a specific top five list of just ballparks, um, the whole experience there, the atmosphere, the layout of the ballpark, um, and food options too? I mean, although you you publicly deal with your celiac disease and you have people eat food for you, right? So is that kind of diminish your opinion of places where maybe you're not getting the full experience? And um, does that does that affect it at all for you? Uh, it affects it somewhat, but I, I cover the food, you know, very thoroughly and uh, eat what I can. And, um, you know, I, I didn't get diagnosed with celiac disease till 2012, and I modify, you know, these items when I can. So I still think I have a very good sense of the, uh, you know, I still am very appreciative and interested in what a, a team is bringing to the table food-wise, especially because uh, if you have anything unique or regional, you know, at the ballpark that really speaks to, you know, the community in which the ballpark is located in. And that to me is always very interesting. And, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. we've seen this trend in recent years with the, you know, the one night only rebranding to local, you know, regional food items. So it's something that's connected with a lot of people. Um, You know, in terms of favorite ballparks, it's the number one question I get asked uh, just constantly all the time. Oh, so what's your favorite ballpark? (laughs) Um, At the end of last season, um, after I'd finally been to every every ballpark, I did a whole series of articles, you know, Ben's Best. And I, I broke, I did a whole bunch of uh, different articles, each, uh, you know, dealing with different categories. And the way I, I dealt with this, like, what's the best, you know, conundrum, because it's so hard in minor league baseball to compare, you know, triple A to rookie ball. You know, it's just apples and oranges, you know, when you're talking about the entire landscape, 160 teams. So I did a whole series of um, level by level articles. And I started that off with a best ballpark article, uh, which I did my favorite ballparks level by level. And I think that's as close as I've gotten to, you know, saying what my favorites are. And I could still change the answers, you know, at any given day if I just look at a list because, you know, there's just so many criteria to take into account. But I, I did choose El Paso as my favorite place in AAA, Double uh, A, Redding, uh, Redding, Pennsylvania, home of the Fighting Phils, uh, Class A Advanced, uh, Daytona, Jackie Robinson Ballpark. Uh, Class A, uh, McCormick Field in Asheville, uh, Class A short season, um, Vancouver, the only team uh, in Canada, the Vancouver Canadians. And uh, rookie ball, I went with uh, Bluefield. Bluefield, either Virginia or West Virginia. It's always unclear. That ballpark's on the state line. But uh, that's about as close as I've gotten to saying uh, what my favorites are. But those are all, uh, the ones I just mentioned are all uh, obviously way high up there. You know what? That's fair. And I'll let you off the hook for that. I could, <laughs> I was thinking about pressing you a little more to get a number one, but I think you covered it pretty well. I mean, that stadiums vary in size based on community and the level and you go to short season ball or something, it's tiny. And so I'll forgive you on that. But, um, one, one thing before we get you out of here on this, cause 
I don't want to take up too much of your time tonight, but um, what did what would you say to? I mean, I don't know what your experience is like with major league parks, and if you have favorites out there as well, and if you've been to all of those. But if you were going to see a new ballpark go up, um, I don't know anywhere in Canada, the U.S., Mexico, as as MLB looks at expanding its its teams potentially by two in the in the near future, what, would you have a preference on which place you'd like to see a ballpark go? Um, in terms of MLB expansion, I don't have too much of an opinion on it. I guess uh, part of me would like to see Montreal come back just as a National League fan, um, you know, who grew up with the Phillies and the Expos in the same division. I just kind of liked Montreal sort of being on the on the docket. And uh, I think it's good to have Canada represented. Um, you know, it, it used to be, you know, on the minor league landscape as well, there were a quite a number of, uh, of Canadian teams and now there's only one the you know, aforementioned uh, Vancouver Canadians. So I would like to see baseball back in Montreal, and I'd, I'd like to see that work. So I'd probably go with that on the MLB level. But it's interesting because you know some of these uh, potential expansion cities are cities that have AAA, so then that adds the additional wrinkle of what would happen to the AAA team uh, should a major league franchise come in. And not to mention the additional, additional wrinkle of how do you set up um, you know, entire farm systems for two new teams and where do they go? Uh, I think it would, the moving parts are just immense when you talk about expansion. And I think it's easy to overlook um, just how many moving parts there are uh, and how that would change the minor league landscape dramatically as well. For sure. And then we get a whole slate of new, brand new minor league parks for you to get out to with, with sure with some ridiculous team names and some ridiculous food items. Yeah, probably. Although it's, it's very, it's very hard to look across the, the nationwide landscape and say, oh, this is these are two communities without AAA, for example, who would be willing to build a ballpark. And these are two new AA. It might yeah. take getting creative in, in terms of how this is all situated. I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, it'll be and, – and, you know, these things are so far down the line. Uh, and there's so much, you know, you know, to-be-determined elements. I don't think it's worth getting – too into because then you're just in the realm of pure speculation but it is interesting to think about i, I admit but um yeah montreal let's let's bring major league baseball to montreal why not for for sure i'm all in on montreal i love montreal um i'd like to see them get another chance because that was just destined to fail um once 94 happened and then they, the the stadium was just not the right fit for baseball they deserve another chance i think for sure um so are you working on anything else this week that we should keep an eye out for well, sure. Always working on stuff. Um, always have at least two features running on the site a week. And then in addition to whatever supplemental stuff I can get out, um, you know, I'm talking to you here on Wednesday evening um, and I'm in the midst of finishing up a story on, uh, you know, on the Potomac Nationals and, and their uh, final season and final game at Fitzner Stadium. So I'll have a, a story on the site tomorrow, MILB.com, um, you know, about uh, kind of fan reaction to saying goodbye to a ballpark. Uh, that the team called home for 36 years. So that's in the immediate future. And uh, then I'll probably have some more stuff from Potomac next week, some stuff from my visit to Hagerstown. Uh, that'll kind of wrap up the on-the-road stuff for the season, although I still have a lot of designated eater posts and just kind of supplemental food-related stuff. And, I mean, it just kind of trickles out for a long time. And uh, before the month is over, I'll actually be, in, I'll be back in El Paso uh, for the Innovator Summit, which is an industry event, a, an idea an idea sharing event that used to be called the promo seminar. Uh, now it's <clears throat> in minor league fashion, been rebranded as the innovator summit, but uh, I'll be back in El Paso and get to see my favorite AAA ballpark. Uh, albeit with uh, no games being played. Well, Benjamin, thank you so much 
for coming on. Uh, remember to follow him on Twitter at Ben's Biz. If you like pics of food, he's your guy. Uh, thank you so much, and hopefully we can get back on in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good talking to you. All right, thank you again to Ben Hill. He is at Ben's Biz. Takes a lot of pictures of food that we can't eat. So if you are an Instagram foodie and you like to look at food from other ballparks, then he's your guy. That's going to do it for us today, Wade. So Who do you like in the game tomorrow? Predictions. Bears Green Bay. Thursday night game, Bears minus three hosting the Packers. I'm taking the Bears. I'm taking the Bears. I think I'm going to lay the points too. Defense um, is too good. I don't first of all, I like the home team. And which is, you know, they're they're getting minus three or they're they're losing they're giving three points, which is I don't really care that much. And the over under forty six and a half. I think I like the over. First game of the season. I'll take the under. Really? It's warm weather up there right now. Not bear weather. It's not bear weather, but I think that is conducive for some more points. So give me the Bears minus three and dash a little parlay with the over. We'll check in next week. Okay. Do you like any futures? I haven't looked at any. Season's starting real soon, so. Tomorrow. The betting window is going to close on those futures. You got to get them in. I'll give you one. Deshaun Watson, MVP, paying off at plus 2,000. Love that. It's good. Really good value. And I'll give you Chiefs week one minus four at Jacksonville. It's not quite a West Coast, East Coast trip. I don't mind the travel too much. And the Chiefs have to win by a touchdown, right, in the first week, first game of the season? You'd think more. Jacksonville's okay. Mahomes has got to break 50 touchdowns this year. Could have five at least Sunday. At least the over, which is currently, uh, I think, 36 and a half. We made a bet with some friends. That's 40. But um, they've got to win by a touchdown. Like, I like Jacksonville's going to be okay. I kind of like Jacksonville this year. But Chiefs, minus four, week one, take it. Cool. So uh, now you want to get out of here? Unless you have any other features you want to give. That's all I got. That's all you got. As always, please follow the show's Twitter account, which is at Fire Farmhands. Check it out. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe. We're available on all your favorite platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please leave your comments, questions, concerns, and your rating of the show on all platforms. You've been listening to Believe and Padres Prospects on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. For Wade, I'm Ryan. See you guys next week. They used to be called Prairie Dogs, but that won't work for double-A ball. And it's the bottom of the ninth, and the game is on the line. They are the sod poodles, sod poodles, that's right, they're called the sod poodles. And when you come to our rough and rugged town... Is anybody... Who's playing on the force this year? Uh, we're not going to know until probably May. Oh, okay. That's how that works. So I thought AFL force, you know? What does that mean? American Football League. Who's San the, Diego Force. That's you're you're really throwing me off because the forces are summer league baseball. Oh, the fleet. Who's so. <laughs> <laughs> playing the fleet this year? Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.